Our scripture lesson today comes from Genesis 32, beginning with verse 22. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we come to our story about Jacob today, it may be helpful to review. Abraham and Sarah, who were promised as many children as there are stars in the sky, in their old age, they finally have a son, Isaac. When Isaac is grown, Abraham arranges for him to marry a woman named Rebekah, and Rebekah gives birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. God tells Rebekah that the older one will serve the younger one. And Esau is born first, with Jacob right after. We'll come back to the details of this brotherly relationship in a couple of weeks because it stretches out over several chapters. For now, it is enough to know this much. Jacob tricks his brother, and then he tricks his father, all in an attempt to earn pride of place, the status of being the favored son. As a result, Esau, who loses out several times over, he vows to himself that he will kill his brother. Now, if you are thinking this sounds a bit familiar, you're right. This story bears striking similarity to the story of Cain and Abel, except this time it includes a whole lot of planning and deceit, not just overwhelming emotion. Before anything further can play out, though, Rebecca learns what Esau is planning and sends Jacob away to live with her brother Laban in order to spare his life. Our reading today takes place 20 years after all of that. It is 20 years later, and Jacob is finally coming home. He has done quite well for himself over those years, but surprise, surprise, he's on the run again after deceiving someone else. This time, though, he's not by himself. This time, after 20 years, 
He has an enormous caravan of livestock and camels, piles of belongings, two wives and 11 children, and all of it stretched out over miles of desert behind him. But he also carries the threat of death at the hand of his brother Esau. And theoretically, at least, he carries some degree of guilt over destroying his family and breaking his father's heart at the end of his life. And so as he travels back toward home, he is strategic, sending gifts ahead to appease his brother and then dividing his entourage into two parts so that if Esau does attack, Jacob won't lose everything. Once he has sent all his livestock and all of his belongings and all of his family over the river, though, he decides he can finally rest for the night. But he is alone again, as alone as he was 20 years ago. And so he sits down in the dark, once again a fugitive, once again guilty, once again afraid, and he waits for the dawn. It's in the dark of that night, though, that a stranger appears and wrestles with him until daybreak. The stranger strikes him on the hip, not enough to kill him, not even enough to make him stop fighting, just enough to give him a limp for the rest of his life, ensuring that no matter how long he lives, he will never forget that night. The stranger refuses to give a name, but he does bestow a blessing. And so a new limp and another blessing accompany Jacob when the next morning he continues his journey home. Now, if you didn't know this was from the Bible and you switched out camels for cars, you might understandably mistake this story for being two or three episodes of an overly dramatic, poorly scripted reality show. But these are the ancestors of our faith, and their story is our story. Frederick Beekner calls this part of the story the magnificent defeat. I think there is something incredibly important about how the stranger never gives a name. Especially in the ancient world, but even still today, to name something is to have some degree of control over it. Jacob's comments later in the story make it clear that he does at some point recognize the stranger as God in some form or fashion, but that information never comes directly from God. Now remembering that we are still in the first book of our Holy Bible, we are finding that this tradition of ours, for as much as we have learned along the way so far, our tradition continues to have mystery at the center of it. If you can name something, you can define it, or understand it, or control it. You can pin it down. 
but the figure refuses to give a name and Jacob wrestles all night long, but he never manages to pin down his opponent, which is literally the goal of wrestling. He can't do it, but it's not for lack of trying. As one preacher puts it, all Jacob can do is hold on for dear life. No matter how carefully we think we have managed it, or how certain we think we are, there will always be some part, some portion of God that will manage to elude us. In the Hebrew language, God's name is a series of consonants. Sometimes it's rendered J-H-W-H, sometimes Y-H-W-H. And while we might look at those letters and say Yahweh, devout Jews would not. They look at those letters and they say Adonai because they dare not utter God's name. And some of the most orthodox, they will not even write the word God. They write G-D. Religion, or faith, as scripture teaches it, it embraces a tension between seeking to know and understand and serve God as fully as we can, while also acknowledging that we ought not claim more knowledge than we actually have or seek to define God in any way so complete or so final that we claim ultimate authority. If there is ever a text that cautions against a rigid fundamentalist view of faith, this is it. Because this story is clear that God will not be confined or pinned down or restricted by anyone or anything, including God's own chosen people. And yet, the same God who refuses to give Jacob a name doesn't destroy Jacob either. And God could have. I think it's important we not miss that it's fascinating to me, the majority of biblical commentators who read this story, they go the route of saying, this is remarkable. Jacob's strength is remarkable. His capacity for nearly overpowering God is something we must strive towards. But I just can't find that in the text. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who flung stars into the sky and set the tides to come and go, the God who told the rivers to run and taught the mountains to stand up straight, that God could not be wrestled down to near exhaustion unless that was God's own intention all along. When I search for God in this story, what I find is a God who deeply desires to engage with humanity, who deeply desires to engage with us in all of our messiness. A God who doesn't pick the perfect moments when we're ready for such a thing, 
but who instead intrudes into human life at some of the most inopportune times, like Abraham and Sarah in their old age, or like Jacob in the midst of his deception and guilt and fear. And God doesn't just intrude, God blesses. And that blessing, that doesn't come the way we might expect it or even want it, if we are being honest. It doesn't come as a result of good behavior or moral purity or theological certainty. It comes on God's own terms because of something that resides in God's heart, something that we have learned to call grace. Jacob doesn't deserve God's blessing. Do you remember that recitation of wrongs that got us to this point in the story? The trickery and the lies and the selfishness. The last thing this guy deserves is a blessing. And I don't believe he earns it either by merely wrestling God into submission. I believe what we're seeing here is a glimpse of something that we will see again. A God whose greatest blessings come not as demonstrations of strength and power, but as moments of unprecedented vulnerability, born out of a love that just can't help itself. Because again, God could have destroyed Jacob or subdued him or trapped him without a doubt. But God chose another way. God chose to limit God's own self in order to teach Jacob and the rest of us a lesson. A lesson not about God's overpowering might, but about God's intimate involvement in our lives. God chooses to wrestle with Jacob not until a victor emerges, but until the dawn begins to break. Because in the light of a new morning, we see a God who is willing to risk pain and suffering, even the scars of a diminished reputation, maybe even the threat of defeat itself, in order to reach us in new ways. And in seeing that God, we see early glimpses of the one who will do the exact same thing in an even more tremendous way, allowing himself to be wounded and humiliated, crucified, dead, and buried. The lasting memory we have of Jacob at this point in the story is that of him limping home his body forever marked, giving us a glimpse of another whose body would be forever marked, marked by a magnificent defeat, the blessed defeat that comes when we finally recognize, when we finally concede, when we finally delight in the fact that in the end, we will all be overcome by the astonishing an irrational and incomprehensible love of God. 
And come what may in this world, we can always hold tight to that. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.